Well, hey, friend, welcome back to the podcast after our little Christmas break. It was really good to step away from the computer and the microphone and the content creation for a while and just be a normal human. But I am raring to go. I'm excited for our topics in this upcoming season. Got some good stuff coming. Our theme is going to be food, which we have talked about food on this podcast many times, but the angle I'm taking for the upcoming episodes, we're just going to do a deeper look at some of these real food slash whole food topics. Going to take some angles we haven't taken before. I'm having on some guests who are experts in their field who can help us dive into some of these ideas. It's going to be really good. So I'm pumped. And today's episode is a topic I have been ruminating on for a while. I've had some questions around it, and I have been considering the best way to tackle it, and today's the day. So I wanted to talk about what real food tastes like, primarily whole grass-fed animal products, because you know a lot of the time people try raw milk or farm eggs or grass-fed beef for the first time, and they rave about how wonderful it is and how they'll never go back, but there are the folks, maybe this is you or someone you know, that tries those foods and just doesn't like it. They don't like the flavor. They say it's gamey. It's grassy. And, you know, if you are getting into homesteading, that can be a little disconcerting. You know, you're going to be raising your own food and now you're like, I don't even like what I'm going to raise. So I wanted to dive into this a little bit today, talk about why these products can taste the way they taste. If that's normal, if it's not normal, what we can do about it. and hopefully give you some reassurance as you move forward into your whole food journey. So let's get started. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. All right, first off, a few housekeeping announcements uh, that I wanted to address from the break. First off, YouTube. I've been getting a number of messages from some of you asking if I was going to come back to YouTube, if I'm okay, uh, what my plan is there. First off, I really appreciate your concern. Uh, And I shared some of my thoughts around this in an email before Christmas. But since not all of you get those emails, you're not subscribed to the newsletter, although you can be if you want to be. I'll drop that in the show notes. Uh, Here's kind of what I'm thinking on the YouTube front. So I spent several months in 2021 really analyzing what I was creating and why and and getting really clear on the amount of content I was producing, if I was still passionate about it, and where I wanted to focus my time moving forward. And YouTube was one that I really struggled with. In fact, I've struggled with YouTube for a while, primarily because, kind of silly to admit this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't like YouTube. I don't like watching YouTube. I don't think it's evil or wrong or anything like that. I just, it's a personal preference. I hate 
watching videos, which is silly because everyone else in the world loves watching videos and I'm totally the oddball, but I will do many, many things to avoid watching a video. If I can buy a book or listen to a podcast or read a blog post or find an article, I will just to avoid watching a video on the topic. That makes it a little tricky to create on YouTube because I just, I'm just not in the YouTube groove. So that fact combined with the amount of time it takes to produce a video, for me, it was anywhere from six to 10 hours per weekly video, which is a lot of time in my very tight schedule. I just decided to let it go for now. And I know that's disappointing to some of you because there's a huge homestead following on YouTube. A lot of homesteaders watch content over there. And initially I had this like fear of missing out that I was going to be hurting my brand or hurting my business by not creating over there. But as I've let that go, it's actually been a really good thing. The amount of tension it has released from my schedule has been unbelievable. And I just have a lot more peace in my weeks, not forcing myself to pump out a video every seven days. So I'm not going to be deleting my channel. Uh, I just I think I hit 200,000 subscribers over there before I quit. So I'm not going to delete that and I'll keep all my old content up. And when I, there's a topic I'm really passionate about, I will produce a video around it. So um, I'm not going to go completely radio silent over there, but I, I just have to get off that hamster wheel. So that's been a good choice for me, but that's the scoop. And thanks so much for your guys' concern. And also for all the support you've given me on YouTube, uh, the comments and the views and the likes. I really appreciate it. So it'll still be there, just not quite at the frequency that it was. Speaking of content creation and analyzing kind of what makes me tick and what I love, uh, a revelation I've had over the past few months is that I love to write, which it's kind of silly to say that because I feel like people around me would have been able to call that out in me before I was willing to admit it. I've always had a propensity towards language arts and written communication. My mom, as my homeschool teacher, uh, always said that to me, but I didn't want to own that as my identity for some whatever weird reason. I just was like, ah, I don't like writing that much. Well, I finally am able to admit or acknowledge or whatever that I love to write. And so um, I want to focus more on some written content. And a really big piece of that for me is that I signed a another book deal in November of 2021. I had been working on the proposal for that book for most of 2021 and it's a long process, but after all the tweaks and the changes and we rewrote the whole thing, it was just like a, a long, long journey, but I was picked up by a really great publisher and I'm really, really excited for this book. Now, some of you might find this disappointing. It is not a cookbook and I'm not ruling out a cookbook in the future, but this is a different book that needed to be born. and. Uh, I'm not going to give you too many detail, details because we're really early in the journey and publishing is a long process, but I am furiously working on the manuscript and I'm really excited. So it's going to be a reading book and that is the official title of what the type of books are because I literally had to ask my agent that. I had to say, it's not, this isn't a cookbook and it's not a tutorial. So what the heck do I call this? And he's like, it's a reading book. I was like, is that the official industry term? And he's like, yes. So that's what it is. And by that, I mean, it's black and white pages uh, with no pictures. It is a book you sit down with a cup of coffee and you read. But it's, it's really been enjoyable for me. And I'm excited to share more about that in the upcoming months. So 
stay tuned. And now let's get into today's topic. Food, real food, and why does it sometimes taste different? And maybe even why is it off-putting to some folks when they first try it? I know the first time I had someone come back to me and say, I don't like your milk, or this beef doesn't taste like I thought, like it kind of took me by surprise and kind of hurt my feelings because I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And how could you not like it? Right. So uh, it also prompted me to do some research and looking into why do these foods taste different? I'll be perfectly honest. I am not someone who's ultra sensitive to the different flavors for whatever reason. I don't find them to be offensive um, or even that noticeable, but everybody's different in how their taste buds are wired. And some people really, really notice a difference. And so it caused me to look into why this happens and kind of what to expect. So yes, the answer, I guess the, the first part of this would be if you have thought that farm-raised food, primarily animal products is what we're talking about today. If you've wondered if it tastes different or it's just your imagination, it's not your imagination. It often does have a different flavor. For example, pastured meats have a more complex profile. Free-range eggs have darker yolks and richer taste. Raw milk can, not always, but can have kind of a grassy undertone. And this is out of my area expertise because we are far from the coast, but wild-caught fish taste fishier than a farm-raised fish who's been fed, you know, fish chow or whatever they feed a farm-raised fish. So there are different flavors there. And every so often when I am sharing grass-fed beef with folks, you know, we've been shipping our grass-fed beef nationwide since fall. Was it fall? When was it? Yeah, fall. Took us most of last year to get our beef figured out with the dry ice in the boxes, but we've been shipping our home-raised Wyoming beef all over the country, which has been so fun. And thank you to everyone who has ordered. Um, But I've had more people come to me with questions and say, you know, I want to order, but I've never tried grass-fed beef and I'm not sure what to expect. And so sometimes I've noticed that some people notice the flavor in grass-fed beef and they love it. Some people are like, ooh, this isn't what I was expecting. For the most part, I find people are able to interchange grass-fed and corn-fed without too much of a difference or noticing, but every so often there'll be kind of that person who's like, ugh, not sure I like this. And so there is a reason that grass-fed beef can taste beefier, for lack of a better word. So generally, when we have these different flavors, it's due to what the animals are eating, of course, right? Your farm-raised meats, your free-range eggs, your raw milk, those animals are usually fed less grain and more variety than their factory farmed counterparts. And that's a good thing. That's what we're after, right? We want to have these animals that are being fed the way nature intended. Uh, When they are fed more grass and less grain, we have more omega-3 fatty acids and iron, all sorts of other vitamins and minerals in these finished products. And it makes them way healthier for us. So let's look at raw milk. For example, to start, this is one that I would say when I share my spring milk, my milk for my cow, you know, in April or May, when our grass is bright green and growing like crazy, I've had a number of people call me up and say, I just didn't love it. 
And that is directly related to the diet of the animal. And this is a pretty well-documented phenomenon among milk cow owners, you know, family milk cow owners, that that green grass is going to produce a richer milk. Some of us love that. Some of us do not. It also affects the butter. So when you have cows eating that green grass, you often will have a brighter yellow butter. And that can depend a little bit on the breed of cow. Some will throw more beta carotene into their milk than others. But it is a pretty noticeable difference if you're comparing a spring milk to a winter milk when the cow is being fed hay. Like we don't really feed our cows grain, but they do get hay in the winter. And those milk, the content is fairly different. I think a couple years ago, I posted a picture on Instagram side by side, and I had a bowl of butter that I had made and from our milk and a bowl of butter from the store. And one, the, the home-raised butter was bright neon yellow, and the store-bought butter was white. And I kind of thought that was common knowledge that, you know, grass-fed butter is brighter. But, and I posted it on there. I can't remember what the caption was. I was kind of like, guess which is which? And I kind of was thinking it was redundant or obvious that I would even ask that question. It was kind of tongue-in-cheek. And I was shocked in the comments, I'd say almost 50% of the people didn't know that grass-fed butter or, you know, spring butter is going to be brighter colored than store-bought. In fact, a lot of folks thought that the homemade butter from my cow was white and they assumed that the yellow butter had been colored by a manufacturer. So it was really interesting to me, like how far removed we are from understanding the seasonal and dietary changes that do affect our animal products. You know, we are so used to this paradigm of plastic wrapped food that comes in the store and it always looks the same and always tastes the same. I think one of the most empowering things we can do is put ourselves back into those producer roles and start to really embrace the differences in fresh foods. And it's beautiful. Like there's irregularities and it changes and it's seasonal, but we have to let go of this idea that everything is going to be homogenous and sterile and pasteurized and look the same and taste the same every time we eat it. Um, but anyway, that was an eye-opening post, the butter post, just to, to see the lack of understanding there, which I'm not faulting anyone for that. It's, it's a product of our modern culture and our lack of, of connection to our food, but something to be aware of. This episode is sponsored by us. We are so excited to be kicking off the launch of our brand new beef business, Genuine Beef company and we're now able to ship our Wyoming raised beef nationwide. This is beef that we have raised ourselves. It doesn't come from overseas like a lot of the grass-fed beef you see on the market. It's grass-fed and grass-finished, dry-aged to perfection, and processed in a USDA facility where it is vacuum-sealed for maximum freshness. We now have ground beef, roast steaks, and all sorts of different bundles available. All you have to do is go online, order, and we'll ship it straight to your doorstep. Head on over to GenuineBeefCo.com to see what we have to offer or follow us over on Instagram, GenuineBeefCo, for recipes, tips on cooking grass-fed beef, the latest flash sales, and a view of what it's like to ranch out on the wide open Wyoming prairie. Plus, if you use code PODCAST, 
you'll save 10% on your order. And now back to our episode. Okay, back on the topic of milk and what it tastes like. There are a few times when off flavors in milk do mean that something's wrong. And, and an example of that would be, you know, if you have rancid milk, you have milk that tastes dirty. Um, it, it might mean it is dirty. Maybe it was handled poorly. It wasn't cooled quick enough. There's the higher bacteria count. So that's something to be aware of. Or like sometimes people will have a cow that gets out into an onion patch or eat some wild garlic or something. And it makes the milk have that sort of flavor. That's going to be an instance where you probably just want to prevent that from happening in the future. Those would be off flavors to avoid. But pure, clean cow milk that's been handled properly and chilled quickly, if it's from cow eating fresh green grass, it's going to taste different. And I think that's something that we can learn how to embrace. The other day I bought, it was for our Christmas, one of our Christmas meals, I bought a bunch of little pieces of cheese from the cheese counter in town. And one of the cheeses I bought, I think it was like a black truffle brie, a little wedge of it. And I was eating it with crackers and I really loved that cheese. It was a great cheese. But as I was eating it, I thought, huh, this, this smell of this cheese, this flavor of this cheese reminds me of cow breath. <laughs> there was just something about it. And I, I say that in a very, uh, I, I didn't find it offensive. I was eating it and enjoying it. But I was sitting there and I was like, I wonder how many people are eating this delicacy cheese, you know, this fancy cheese on their cheese platters. And they love this flavor, but they don't realize this flavor is very cow reminiscent, which is what cheese is. It's from a cow. And, you know, if you start to, I have a a cheese book, I think it's called the book of cheese or something like that. And it's talking about the different flavor profiles. But, you know, as she's, the author is describing these different types of cheese, she's using very interesting adjectives (laughs) to compare the cheese. You know, this is barnyard, a hint of this, a hint of that. Um, There those flavors and tastes don't have to, to be offensive. It's just kind of reframing what's normal and, and, and understanding that's okay. So I would venture to say that as homesteaders or people who are embracing whole foods and expanding our diet, that we learn how to embrace those different flavors, those richer flavors, even if they are stronger than what we're used to versus demanding that our animal products be tasteless or bland. Cause that's kind of what we're getting from the grocery store. And it's okay if we're used to that, but I'm just inviting you to expand your palate a little bit. Another example would be eggs. Of course, this one is a little more widely accepted. I would say for whatever reason, most people recognize that farm eggs taste better. And even the most staunch standard American diet connoisseur will say, yeah, give me the farm eggs. They taste superior. I have had a few people say, I don't like, you know, farm eggs. I want the bland store-bought eggs. But for the most part, people are able to appreciate the nuances of a farm fresh pastured egg with the bright yellow yolks and the richer flavor. My poor children won't touch a store-bought egg. If I try to scramble one up, you know, we're low on eggs or whatever, and I put it on the plate, they will literally leave it. They won't touch it. And they, they said it tastes bad. <laughs> I feel like my palate isn't even refined enough to notice the difference that much. I can, I can definitely notice some difference, but they are very, very finely attuned to that, which I think is um, kind of funny. And that brings us to the last big one here on the list, and that's meat. Does grass-fed meat taste 
different. We've gotten this question a lot lately as we've been shipping our beef. You know, people are nervous. They want to know before they invest. Are they going to like it? And my answer is, it kind of depends. Yes and no. So grass-fed meats can have a meatier taste. And, and I think the case with many of these foods, to me, in trying to describe the flavor differences, they just taste more like what they're supposed to taste like. Meatier, milkier, eggier. They're just like a bigger dose of that flavor. That's how I perceive it. We're all different with our taste buds, but that's my opinion. And, and grass-fed meats, I think, taste meatier. Some people would call it a mineral taste because they actually do have more vitamins and minerals in them. Uh, some people call it gamey. I really, I kind of struggle with the term gamey. I would venture to say that gamey is actually what meat eating is supposed to taste like. Dare I say that? Um, and we're just used to the fake versions of meat that's being fed this artificial diet. And so we perceive anything that's not kind of, of a bland, sweeter, corn-fed meat flavor profile. We perceive it as gamey. That's my theory. There are definitely times when, you know, a deer is eating sagebrush or a cow is eating something that is going to impart a stronger flavor to the meat. And that's a different uh, game entirely. But I find that our grass-fed meat that we raise, I, I don't think it tastes, I mean, obviously I don't think, think it tastes offensive at all because I wouldn't be selling it if I did. I think it tastes richer. I don't think it tastes um, minerally in an offensive way. It's just a stronger, richer, beefier flavor. And that's kind of been the consensus with most of the people who have ordered it is that it's, there's, it's more. It's more of those flavors that you want in your steak. What is often giving those different flavors are that it would be the omega-3 fatty acids. It's coming from all the grass. And that's a good thing. So I think it's just a matter of us associating those flavors as being good for us versus being offensive because we're not used to them. So I think to sum it up, this basically this topic of whole foods or real food or animal products tasting different than what we're used to. A lot of it just has to do with conditioning. You know, most Americans, we've, we've been conditioned, and this is the case for me before we moved to the homestead, I was conditioned to eat grain because everything in the store has grain in it in some way, shape, or form, almost, right? Grain-based foods and grain-fed livestock products. And that's creating that imbalance of nutrients. It's making us sick as a society, but it's also producing those very homogenous, very bland products that we have come to recognize as normal, but they're really not normal. And I, I just remind myself, you know, every time I go to the grocery store, so much of the food that people are putting in their carts without a second thought, because they don't know any different, like they perceive those foods as real, but those are actually the counterfeit versions of so much of these items, right? You know, yesterday I went to the grocery store and I, ugh, it, it just bothered me. I walked by the, it was the produce section and I looked and there was this styrofoam tray wrapped in plastic and on the tray was split into two pieces and it had one side was a roast a beef roast wrapped also in plastic underneath the first layer of plastic and then there was a little collection of vegetables uh like carrots and potatoes washed and I think I'm sure that I'm guessing the carrots were peeled and again wrapped in plastic like shrink wrapped 
on top of the styrofoam tray under another layer of plastic. And it was, I guess it was supposed to be some like pot roast, ready to go pot roasting you throw in your crock pot. And I'm just like, oh, when I see that, it just feels so empty. Like the energy from that food item just feels so empty and cold to me because it is, it's a counterfeit version of what it's supposed to be. And, and not that those weren't real potatoes and real carrots, but it's wrapped in plastic. There's no joy that comes in preparing that. There's no joy that comes in procuring those ingredients. Um, and I'm not here to judge as I know we're all in different places with our food journey. And there are times I still buy things from the grocery store. You guys know that I'm not a purist by any way, shape or form, but it's, it's a far cry from what those foods are in their, their raw unadulterated form. So in contrast to that, you know, the other, the other night I made chicken noodle soup. We weren't feeling very well and the whole family was craving chicken noodle soup. And so I hadn't been to the store in a while when I was ready to make this meal. So I kind of had to scrounge the ingredients. I went out to our freezer that morning and got a whole chicken that we'd raised ourselves, let it defrost. I had to go out to the garden and chip some carrots out of the dirt because I hadn't pulled them in yet. Um, I wanted some carrots for the soup, grabbed an onion from the pantry. I grabbed a bulb of garlic that I had harvested from our garden in July. I had a, a jar of chicken broth that I had cooked earlier that week from a different chicken. So I pulled that out and I, I laid the ingredients out in front of me on our kitchen island. You know, and I have the blood on the chicken. It was still in the shrink wrap, but I, there was blood there and there was dirt on my garlic bulb and there was dirt on my carrots. And I had the jar of broth with fat floating in it and it was raw and it was imperfect, but it made me so happy because like these were ingredients in the purest form, dirt and all. And, you know, then the process of transforming those, cleaning them, peeling them, washing them, breaking down the chicken, um, dicing and sauteing and turning those into a meal like that is just so magical to me. And I feel like the corporations have robbed people from that joy in triple wrapping your roast and your pre-washed potatoes in plastic wrap. And, it, you know. Does that, does that really save that much time? Not, not necessarily. It's just a lot of plastic that goes in the garbage and you can just as easily buy a, a bag of potatoes and wash them yourself and some carrots and stick them in there, even if you're not growing them. So I'm off on a tangent because that doesn't really have anything to do with animal protein and what it tastes like. But I just feel like, you know, getting back to the basics of whole foods and real foods and embracing them in their imperfections with their dirt and the feathers still attached. Like that is such a healing process. And part of that is recalibrating our taste buds to understand what those foods are supposed to taste like. So I think it's a really good thing. I think it's a great conversation to have. It's okay if there's pieces like, you know, if you don't like spring um, raw milk from the fresh green grass, like it's not necessarily the end of the world. Uh, but you know, experiment a little bit, maybe try milk from different times of the year, try goat milk. If you've had some grass fed meats that you find don't really fit your palate, try them from a different producer, try them, um, raised, you know, from a different part of the country, try maybe raising them yourself to see if you can adjust that flavor or find something that fits you. Cause even if you have to kind of dig around and get creative with where you're getting your foods and how you're procuring them, 
it's still going to put you much farther ahead and start creating that relationship with the ingredients in your freezer and in your pantry and what you ultimately put on your plate. So anyway, I hope that was a helpful conversation. Um, it was interesting to do a little research on that and kind of figure out what's the scoop behind some of these foods. But that's all I have for you today, friends. We're going to continue to dive deep into these whole food topics in upcoming episodes. I'm really excited and I hope you'll stick around. As always, in between episodes, you can keep up with me over on Instagram. It's jill.winger is my handle there. I'm also on Twitter, trying to be a little more active there these days. And my handle there is at homesteader. And of course, the blog and my newsletter also will be going out on occasion. So thanks so much, friends. I hope you're having a wonderful new year. Um, and yeah, we'll be talking more soon. Thanks for listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.